now it's time for some midweek thoughts. All right, John. So Van Gogh, famous painter, he used um, I would imagine just like ordinary tools to make his paintings. Right. Like, Speaking of Van Gogh, what makes a Van Gogh? Gasoline. Yes, and other things too. <laughs> Wait, what's is there? Is there a punchline? That was it. It really was on the fly. Oh it was, wow! <laughs> what it was very tiny though, being on the fly and everything. It's, it's Magic School Bus. You yeah. ever watch that? Sure. Um, really? You watched Magic School Bus? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay, so I would assume Van Gogh used ordinary tools like typical paint and typical brushes and typical paper. So, um, I know plenty of people who are great painters, right? Who could probably buy similar paper, could buy very, um, comparable paint, comparable brushes and follow the strokes to a T. And there are people out there who forge things, you know, there's a whole market out there for people who do counterfeit. So if you're using the same material, if you're using everything the same as the original, why isn't it as valuable as the original? Like, what about, what about, what an makes or- the Van Gogh painting valuable? Right. It versus somebody else who could do the exact same thing. It can't be the material used because if that was the case, then the replication would cost exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So what is it about things that give things value? Is it the, is it the history? Like, that's something I don't know about. I'm sure there probably is a legit reason. Is there history behind that painting that it was painted so long ago and had happened to be preserved and, uh, and that particular one is valuable because of that? And if that's the case, what gives it that value? Like who decides that that is valuable? Right. Even if it is like one of the lone remaining artifacts or whatever. Um, I, what was it? Was it Picasso that drew a bunch of stuff on like, like napkins and stuff? Oh, I'm not sure. Like he would always draw stuff on napkins and like the people that have those are, they're supposedly really valuable. I can't remember. Yeah. I don't know. I but yeah. That, but. What gives it the value? Mm-hmm. I I wish I, I mean, I'm, there might be like a website that just tells you, but I thought it'd be fun to, to talk about this because this applies to even humans. Like what, what gives a human value? What gives something, what gives something value? Like, you know, fake baseball cards or fake, I don't know, heirlooms, fake coins or, you know, fake bills. And stuff like that. And a lot of these things, yeah, you know, they use cheaper material, but there are some things out there where it's like a shot for shot remake of something, but yet it's worth pennies. Mm-hmm. So you know, I was always told like the value is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for it. Mm. You know, like something like I have, you know, I just sold a bike. Mm. It was very valuable. It was valuable to me because I know to replace it, it would cost a lot of money, but to mm-hmm. sell it, it's only as valuable as what somebody wants to buy it for. Mm hmm. Yeah, and finding that right buyer, um, putting that into the terms of, of people, like, yeah, like who, who determines what is valuable and what is not? Is it, if you're a, if you can create jobs, do we place value in the ability to create jobs for people? And then I go to like, well, if, if that makes someone valuable, is, hmm. has that mind, I'm thinking like Henry Ford, you okay. know, or somebody like Elon Musk, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just Bill Gates, these mm-hmm. people that, uh, Steve Jobs. They're they're they obviously have tremendous value, but who created the value system? Hmm. Well, you know, you could probably go all the way back to like trading. You know that there's there's value in an item. I wonder if it's like supply and demand. Yeah, I would yeah. imagine so. 
You know, it's like there's only one of this ring I'm holding in my finger right here. And so it's like it becomes more valuable because there's one. Yeah. But if there's no demand for it, it's not valuable at all. I know. Whether there's one or 1600 of them, it doesn't matter if nobody wants it. It's like Beanie Babies. Did you ever get into the Beanie Baby craze? No. Okay. Well, you, you were probably like a little old for that. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Well, I remember whenever I was getting Beanie Babies, there was, it was like, these <laughs> so, are going to be sorry. valuable. <laughs> you know, and they be- might be. Um, they might be someday if they're in their original packaging and whatever it might be. Uh, well, I think the collector. problem is that they were bought, they were bought as the selling point that these are collectible items. Mm-hmm. And normally things that are bought as collectibles aren't seen as valuable. It's like those random one-off toys that no one thought about in the 90s. Yeah. Those are the ones that are now worth like, like thousands of dollars. Like Mc- McDonald's uh, toys and their Happy Meals. Yeah. If you were to have, you know, from 1985 to 1995 collected every weekly McDonald's Happy Meal toy, you have some serious coin right there mm-hmm. uh, to have like a complete collection of all the toys, especially if they're not even out of the wrapper yet. Uh-huh. Do people, I think nostalgia is valuable. Yeah. Uh, remembering that stuff. I mean, that's why I'm keeping those four cars up there mm-hmm. in their case till I'm older. For the listeners, the, there's uh, the Fast and the Furious cars. Brian's Brian O'Connor's original Toyota Supra, the orange one, and Don Dom's uh, Dodge Charger that he drove at the end and crashed. Mm-hmm. I have those two, and then on the flip of that, I have the Charger and the Supra that they drove away in at the end of Furious Seven mm-hmm. as kind of Paul Walker's um, and showing like the evolution of their styles in the movies and things like that. Yeah, they're gonna stay in the boxes mm-hmm. until forever. Because who knows? I don't expect them to be valuable, but I could imagine in like 20 or 30 years when they're remaking all of the Fast and the Furious <laughs> franchise films. Um, you just never know. That'd be pretty cool to have those. Mm-hmm. And who knows what they're going to remake them with? Flying cars? I have no idea. <laughs> flying cars, yeah. I mean, there already are flying cars. So There are? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're making. I mean, they're not like out there, but they're oh, definitely. The technology's there. Yeah, there definitely are prototypes of flying cars that are <laughs> available. So. Yeah, I just found it so fascinating how, like, man, yeah, like, you could create, I'm just trying to think of something random, like a birdhouse, and I could use the exact same materials, follow the exact same blueprints, and I could build the exact same birdhouse as you, but if you have clout to your name and people love mm-hmm. you, I mean, yours will sell for, like, 300 bucks, and mine will sell for, like, yeah. 10 you go into these exhibits art exhibits i've never been to an art exhibit i have no idea mm-hmm. and you see these like they're just random brush strokes mm-hmm. and you and they're like on display and like it is very like i wonder if what gives it value like what gives that value like a, a kid could do that right and somebody just basically created the art and put a story to it and hung it up on a wall, put some shiny lights on it in an art exhibit. Then all of a sudden the environment, the scene creates it, the value. Yeah. It's because you're true. here and people want to see that. And you could even, you could just, it's, is it art? Art just sometimes valuable, create a good story <laughs> and there's your art and it's valuable and people will pay to see it. I think, I think you said something really important is um, the way that it's framed. Like if that piece of art quote art is like just sitting in an alley. People would be like, Oh, that's, that's trash. Right. But the fact that it's put in a prestigious building with fancy lights, specifically shining on certain angles and it's in a music, it's, it's behind a glass casing. Yep. You're framing something as this is worth something. Mm-hmm. And other people look at it as, Oh my God, dude, this is so good. Right. Payless did that. 
No, Payless did that. If you've seen that show, Dude, like Payless Shoe like, Source, whew, yeah. excited. Like they recreated a Payless shoe store, right? Yeah, and made it look like a designer shoe store, mm-hmm. like really nice, really fancy. Right, and they put their shoes up on these little pedestals, like glass pedestals with lights on them, and like it's they're Payless shoes. They're nineteen ninety nine. Like they're the cheapest most crappy shoes ever right and but they did they put them in this store and they put price tags of like three and four and five hundred dollars on these shoes and had people come in and like the people working there were in suits mm-hmm. they made it appear like this is a fancy and people were going in and buying these twenty dollar shoes for hundreds of dollars right because they created an experience to make people think that these wow. shoes are much more valuable than what they really are Dude. and the people they weren't even looking at the shoe like mm. if they knew anything about shoes, they probably could have looked at the shoe construction and been like, "This is crap." Mm-hmm. Like this is a cheaply produced shoe. Look at the the way it's sewn, the base. I mean, if you knew what shoes were supposed to be like, quality shoes, you'd have known they were crap. But people didn't care. Mm-hmm. They just went in and bought the three or four hundred dollars shoes because they thought it was cool, right? And Kanye um, did like a uh, a performance at Coachella, Kanye West. And I was seeing pictures of his merch, like hoodies, t-shirts. I'm getting my numbers kind of wrong, but the ballpark is like 150 bucks, mm-hmm. 150 bucks, $200 for like a shirt or a hoodie. Yeah. So like selling, selling out like all of his supply. These are just run of the mill prints on a hoodie. Yep. But the fact that it was Kanye, the fact that it was Coachella, the fact that they were limited edition, the special fact that, Coachella edition. Yeah. The fact that like you have one chance to buy these things. Oh my God. Yeah. The way, the way that you frame something is almost what gives something value. And I think mm-hmm. we can apply that to people. We can apply that to how we feel about our lives and how we frame. Dude, this is insane. Okay. I didn't think we were well, going to get into this. I'm happy. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 the more you break it down, the more simple it is. They used to tell us when we were in a, when we were in Amway and how you basically how you framed somebody like, you know, we had a mentor, you know, that was higher up in the business that mm-hmm. knew a little bit more how to do things, how to sell things, how to sign people up, all of that stuff, blah, blah, blah. And, the goal was to get a new person in front of that mentor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, you've always heard that saying, like, a prophet is not without honor, like, except in his home and his hometown and his family, uh, where you, you could, when you're around the local people, you're just, I'm just John. Right. I've been here all my life. Nothing special about me. Right. I go somebody out somewhere else, and then someone would be like, dude, this dude from Carlisle, Pennsylvania, he's got two podcasts, health coach, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Really good painter, dude, successful I, man. I've experienced this. Right. People are going to look at me differently mm-hmm. than the people that have always known me. Right. You know, so like when we, when I'm working with this person one on one, they're new people, I'm just regular Joe. Mm hmm. But if I build this other guy up, man, I got this, I got this guy, Steve, you know, he used to work at Lowe's. Um, uh, Steve at Lowe's is going to be my character from now on. <laughs> Steve, at um, Steve at Lowe's, he, he, he started at Lowe's and he got this business and he's really good. He worked his way up. He was able to retire from Lowe's at 27 years old and he's making six figures a year now doing this business. He's coming. He's going to teach us everything he knows. Like, I want to be retired at 27 too. Mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to Steve from Lowe's because clearly Steve at Lowe's knows something <laughs> I don't. And I want to listen to him. And the more I build up that person, the more valuable that person becomes. And mm. if you do it well, people are going to buy into whatever Steve from Lowe's <laughs> says, regardless, they won't care. Right. Because you've created value in that person. Wow. Same way with people, same way with products, anything. It's all in how you sell it. Right. Um, there's another podcaster, Brad Kearns. 
who does a couple of podcasts that I, that I know, and, and he is good at doing that. He's very good at using adjectives to describe things and, and, and tell a story and basically create value mm. in his podcast based just who he is. Like the way he asks questions, he is very good at it. Yeah. And it kind of pisses me off sometimes because he's <laughs> it's just like so effortless. It, it makes it look so easy. Mm-hmm. You know, every, it's like, and so, you know, stuff like that. He's just really good. It's all in how you package things. Yeah, man. So. I think that's, I think that applies to life, like how we, how we look, how we treat our lives and like, how do, how do we, de- how do we determine our own value? Because if you, if you take, if you take us at, um, the analogy of painting, right? So we are all made up of the same things. This is just technically, obviously, you know, we all got blood. We all have tissue. We all have veins. We all have bones. We're all born human. Yeah. We're all born human. We all, yeah, you, you get what I'm saying, right? We all start from, Again, this is technically speaking from the same playing field. So, um, what determines our value then? And I think this is like the nuanced spiritual side of life that we just don't see. You know what I mean? The way we, the way we carry ourselves, the way we interact with people, the way that we, yeah, care. Yeah. I said carry ourselves, I think is like a huge one. Um, and, uh, there's a quote that I didn't think I was going to read, but the subtle art of not giving a fuck book. Mark Manson, Mark Manson, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I posted this on Facebook and this is like so true. Um, and I'll tie this into value in a second, but it's really quick. Wanting positive experience is a negative experience. Accepting negative experience is a positive experience. It's what the philosopher Alan Watts used to refer to as the backwards law. The idea that the more you pursue feeling better all the time, the less satisfied you become as pursuing something only reinforces the fact that you lack it in the first place. The more you desperately want to be rich, the more poor and des- bleh, the more poor and unworthy you feel, regardless of how much money you actually make. The more and desperately you want to be sexy and desired, the uglier you, you come to see yourself, regardless of your actual physical appearance. The more you desperately want to be happy and love, the lonelier and more afraid you become, regardless of those who surround you. The more you want to be spiritually enlightened, the more self-centered and shallow you become in trying to get there. So, I think this is so true in the fact that, like, no one likes someone who's desperate. Whenever you're desperate and you beg and you, you know, cry and you all this stuff, you be, you be, appear to be less valuable. You know what I mean? But like, when you look at bands like Motley Crue or <clears throat> Def Leppard, these bands who are so untouchable, like, you know, these bands who, you know, they just didn't seem to give a shit about anything. Like people wanted them so much more because they were untouchable. Like they created this world around them that like they were so valuable. And, um, I think that quote is so amazing because like if you look at yourself as a piece of shit and, you know, unlovable and not worthy, you are dramatically making your value decrease <laughs> all just from the way you're talking to yourself. Does that make any sense? Yeah. You just started talking about bands and stuff. And oh, and you got into I that. started thinking about Def Leppard and like a one-handed <laughs> drummer. You know, like their drummer only has one arm. And yeah. I was thinking about all of the electronics that he had to have for like his left foot and his right foot to get the good sounds. And I was like, I bet I could fit an electronic drum kit in here. Oh, boy. <laughs> Dude, if you got one, I, st- I would be over I started imagining, day. like, if I got an electric drum, this is all while you were talking right there. You know, I could wear the headphones and I could play it. It wouldn't be very loud. I would get that drum that drum fix in. Dude. But how could I listen to music 
with the head, like I would oh, have to yeah, figure out how to bring it up and listen to music and play along all in my ears. And that's kind of where my mind went. Well, whenever you listen back to this, hopefully you <laughs> listen to what I said, cause I thought it was good. Um, there's value in honesty. <laughs> there, there is value. In, see, you just up your value. Um, I think that's very true. And, uh, this apply. Yeah. I think begging, begging is like a big thing. People who beg a lot. Uh, I think the more you beg in life, the less value you, you determine or the less value you exhibit, I guess. Yeah. I mean, a good salesman makes somebody believe that they need the thing, that there is value in the thing and they, and they sell it. And it's all about how you, how you like, like we talked about, it's all about how you frame it. Mm hmm. And it's all about creating that need, making somebody think that there's a need for this and they need it in their life. And that gives it value. Right. Uh, and I think once you start to cut the shit, like of what you really need in your life, I think the true value of things come out. Mm-hmm. And that's a great segue into what we could talk about for our full length episode on Monday is how we feel, how we are sold how to feel certain things. Do I have one more thing to say? Oh, go ahead though. Okay. But, um, <laughs> don't cut me off yet. Um, okay. I wanted to say this because I thought this was really cool. Well, it's yeah. So dang it, man. Because Tim right now there is a valuable item at the post off that if I don't get to pick up <laughs> very soon and take care of, like my wife is going to be severely depressed. So I just have one thing. <laughs> I just, just let me get this part out and then we can bounce. No, it's fine. So I had a job at a local burrito shop and I don't want to say what it is, but just, I mean, most of you probably know we may have already said it. That's neat. That it, it was neat working there. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I loved it. Like I have nothing bad to say about this place. Um, it's amazing. Amazing owners had a great time. I was there for like two years, but I was working at a burrito shop and the average person in their mid to late twenties, you know, whenever you're like, Oh yeah, what are you doing these days? Oh, I work at like a law firm or I, I work in sales. I'm in real estate. What do you do? I work at a burrito shop. It's kind of like, you just can't help but feel like less. And I remember feeling this way. And there was someone in my life who was kind of like, you know, you should push for more. And granted, you know, they were right. I should push for more. You know, I shouldn't, that shouldn't be my end goal. But I remember taking a job doing real estate videography <clears throat> and it paid less than Nito, but it's you said seen- Nito. Nito Burrito. It's a great place. I'm not talking <laughs> bad about it. It's a great it. restaurant. It's awesome. Go to Nito Burrito. Um, I don't know why I'm being so shady. Like I have nothing but good things to say. Um, so it was seen, you know, working at a burrito shop as opposed to working like at a real estate videography job. It just, I felt cooler saying that. I know whatever. And, but I was, I was paid less and I was driving way more and I was, you know, killing my car. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, this might seem cooler. This might like sound cooler on paper. Like, what do you do? Oh, I do real estate videography. Um, but my life wasn't cooler. Like I was, there was value. Like it's so weird how I was seen as more valuable because I was doing this quote, like bigger thing, but it wasn't valuable at all. If anything, I was losing money. Like Nito paid more. There were benefits. Amazing people. Eat for free. Eat, eat for free. You know, <laughs> eat, yeah. Eat for free. It's like, if you schedule your shifts right, you really only need to pay for one meal a day. I mean, literally, <laughs> literally. 
I mean, even that, like if you just got like a full burrito at Nido, if you've eaten there, you know, like just cut that burrito in half or eat, cut the bowl in half and you, that's, that's your meal for the day. So yeah. like, um, it, I just found it very funny how I was much happier in general at this job that was, you know, seen as quote less. I'm not talking bad about Nita, but you get what I'm saying. Right. And, um, I just found that funny is all like, yeah. These people, you know, or, I, or when you're older and you see somebody that's like a couple years older than you and they're like, Hey, you still painting. What, what do you mean? Still, still, painting. <laughs> still like, painting. This is a very profitable career here. Oh, dude, and you're asking killing. if I'm, st- and I know most people don't mean anything by it. Right. But it's almost like that. It almost implies that like there's somewhere else to go. There's somewhere else you should like, be. There's something else you should be doing. You still at that law firm, law firm, <laughs> you know, you, you still, you know, are you a partner yet? Yeah, right. You, you, your I don't know how that works. On. I don't know that that industry, but no, that's that's good. And I do want to to, to piggyback on some of this stuff into that full length, length okay. because I do think there's a whole lot more we could do. Okay. Um, but you know, even working that job, you could, if you think about it, and I'm trying to think about it on the fly here, really quick. When okay. someone says, "says What do you do?" Well, I'm a crafter of fine foods and I <laughs> distribute them to people in need or something like that. Well, no, some, it, some way to package that title. Right. You know, example, you're a secretary. No, I'm an administrative assistant. Right. Sounds so much more cooler. And people are like, if they say, what do you do? Well, I'm an administrative assistant and oh, I, I keep, I keep major companies afloat. I am the, I am, yeah. I, their job is very valuable. Right. But if you say, well, I'm a secretary. Yeah. I answer phones eight <laughs> hours a day, but legitimate that, that, that company, that business would fall apart mm-hmm. without the secretary. Well, dude. And, and I mean, like I was providing a service, you know, I was like, there's nothing wrong with the food industry. My God, like some of the best people I've met are in the food industry. We need people there. Um, mm-hmm. we need good people. And so I wasn't ashamed of it, but I just felt like there was this judgment around it. And, um, it made me realize very quickly how silly it is to base our value on what job titles we hold, man. Cause I was much happier rolling burritos than I was getting doing, doing the real estate videography stuff. So yeah. just like a little lesson in life. Yeah. So stay tuned for Monday for value part two. Ta ta.